so glad to see all the smiling faces in church today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, let's pray, pray and get right into the word. Father, thank you for your precious people. Thank you for this place. It's holy. And thank you for this time. It is dedicated unto you. And so, Father, give us utterance today. Help us to hear what needs to be heard. Help us to say what needs to be said. And may your people be blessed and filled. May they be healed. May they be uh, encouraged today. May there be direction today in Jesus' mighty name. And we thank you that you're good all the time, not most of the time, but all the time. And you're good to all, not just some, but you're good to all. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. So it is my pleasure to minister to you during a time, let's call it Independence Week, because of course July 4th is coming in this week. My title is Independence Day and other holidays. They're more than a barbecue, a sale, or a day off. I think it's important to take advantage of this holiday, July 4th, Independence Day, as a teachable moment. And I believe I have a good word for you today, but you need to believe God with Pastor Tom. How many of you will do that with me? How many of you will pull? We had a great time. I'll tell you, that first service, they pulled. And boy, I'll tell you what, it was a great time in the Lord. Our perspective toward holidays is very significant, very re- revealing, and it locates our belief systems. And what you believe is so important. The word holiday, looking at the etymologies, comes from the 1500s, and earlier than that, uh, it was called Halliday from uh, the 1200s. But Old English was literally meant holy day. So the roots, the roots of the word come from a religious festival. And I'm going to, I'm, I'm not going too far out on a reach to say that it actually has implications about the Sabbath. It was a day of exemption from labor and recreation. Uh, I want to give you a modern definition that you could readily find from the Oxford Dictionary. It defines it as a day of festivity or recreation when no work is done. That's it. That's all they say about it. Now, to give you an example of what they mean by holiday, which has its roots in holy day, This is the example that they give you in the Oxford Dictionary. As an example, December 25th is an official public holiday. They're equating December 25th as just the day that you don't have to go to work. And you don't have to go to school. That's all. That's all they're subscribing to that particular day. Friends, if you're a Christian and have any training in Scripture at all, you realize that December 25th represents a whole lot more than a sale at Nordstrom. It represents a whole lot more than a nice slab of barbecue baby back ribs. Or a football game. The significance 
of a supernatural entry into the earth arena by the Son of God to put into motion the redemption plan to buy back your liberty from being slaves of sin and ultimately being lost forever. So significant. But you're going to find today that academia is not always your friend. Let's look at the modern Cambridge Dictionary. They define a holiday as a time when someone does not go to work or school, but is free to do whatever they want, such as travel or relax. That's it. A a word that has its roots in Sabbath. Friends, the Sabbath is a whole lot more than hanging around in your duds at home. And going to Denny's and stuffing your face with unlimited pancakes. And relaxing and chilling. And playing cards with the family or dominoes with your friends or going fishing. The Sabbath is not just time off. It has a purpose. What it, let, let me read other definitions that are a little more friendly to the course of the Christian life. Let's look at what good old Miriam Webster has to say. A day on which one is exempt from work, specifically a day marked by a general suspension of work in commemoration of an event. Commemoration. So now you have purpose. This is not just free time where you do whatever you want to do. As a Christian, we understand that there are some days that you set apart for the service of God. I noticed you got dressed and came to church today. Rather than get technical on whether the Sabbath is on a Saturday night or whether it's when it's over at this time or that time, let me just say that you came to honor God today at church. Right? Commemoration of an event or a person. Look look what the Collins English Dictionary says. A holiday is a day when people do not go to work or school because of a religious or national celebration. The challenge to us today, and it snuck into the church too, is that we get time off Or we call something, we call it a holiday, but we have lost the understanding of what that day means. To commemorate means to call to remembrance, to mark by some ceremony or observance, to observe something, to stop, to solemnize something such as a ceremony. There's such a lack of understanding in our particular day in our circle, certainly in the media, of honor. 
and of sacrifice. The concept of sacrifice is ignored in our culture and is given up in favor of the ability to get a discount. <laughs> yeah. And unfortunately, the whole idea of prices that are paid, sacrifices that have been made, is nearly an extinct concept. Friends, things cost. It costs you the fact that you're sitting here safe. Somebody did something. It cost someone something for you to be able to be safe here, enjoying what you're hearing even. Now, we're not going to have a history lesson today. But, on the other hand, I want to read just a little bit so that we can know what's happening. I'm so glad they're doing that special on TBN about history. There is so little connection to our past. And there's a reason for that. I'll get to that in a moment. Notice what it says here. We hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created equal. There you go. We first start out by something that certain liberal institutions deny vehemently. We are not created. We just came from the goo. Are you listening to me? We are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, unalienable rights. Among these are, listen to this, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now let me spell out the devil's perfect will for you. To steal, to kill, and to destroy. John 10.10, is that right? I would say that the pursuit of life, liberty, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is in line with the will of God. Happy are the people whose God is the Lord. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is... Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the... Notice further in the statement, it says, We therefore, the representatives of the United States of America, in general Congress, assembled, appealing to the supreme judge of the world. Who do you think the supreme judge of the world is? The consensus is, it is the creator Referenced at the beginning of the Declaration of Independence. He is acknowledged as the judge of the world. Let's move down a little more talking about sacrifice. And for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, what is divine providence but God? With a firm reliance on the protection of the divine providence, we mutually... Here's a sacrifice. Somebody say sacrifice. We mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Now, many of you probably have heard this, but I'm just going to cover some of these things. The gentleman that signed... This Declaration of Independence placed their life on the line. Five of the signers were captured by the British as traitors and tortured 
before they died. Twelve had their homes ransacked and burned. Two lost their sons serving in the revolutionary army. Another two sons were captured. Nine of the 56 fought and died from wounds or hardships of the war. They signed and they pledged their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor. Honor. What kind of men were they? Eleven were merchants, nine were farmers, and large plantation owners, men of means and well-educated. But they signed the Declaration of Independence knowing full well that the penalty would be death if they were captured. And there's various different ones, stories of, of, of things that happen. One, one very moving uh, story is that at the Battle of Yorktown, Thomas Nelson Jr. noted that the British General Cornwallis had taken over Nelson, the Nelson home for his headquarters. He quietly urged George Washington to open fire on his own home. The home was destroyed and Nelson died bankrupt. I'm just saying, these people made a sacrifice for you and me. Amen. So there's a lot of things that we could say about that. But remember this, when the holidays roll around. Freedom is never free. It costs somebody something. I see a plethora of sacrifice. I mentioned this earlier. How about moms? I mean... They carry around this baby for, in most cases, nine months. And then after they carry the baby, this, this transition and, and then this labor, somebody say work. Now that's real work. And then right when you think there's a break, no break. Sleepless nights. You lose your life. You don't do anything, but everything's about that baby. You hardly get any sleep. Somebody say sacrifice. I want you to know something. If you're here, and you are, and you're breathing air, your mom made a sacrifice for you to be here. It cost her something. And in most cases, it costs your dad too. I'm just saying, when Mother's Day rolls around, you better do something. You get that card in there, you get those chocolates and those roses. Do somebody do something. <laughs> Honor your mom. I know it's after Mother's Day, but hey. But let's talk about spiritual freedom real quickly. First Peter 1, 18-19 talks about, For as much as ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by the tradition of your fathers, but the priceless blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Listen carefully. Popular secular doctrines like existentialism, humanism, relativism, have polluted our educational institutions, our airways, our literature, our children, our art form, our families, art even snuck into the churches. And hopefully, if I get time, I'll get into that. And I mean, these are fairly deep subjects, but I think I could at least touch them to paint a picture. Basically, all of these ideologies have a few things that are a common thread. Number one, the voice of this generation says, I am all that matters. I am the frame of reference for everything. There is no such thing as absolute truth. Truth is what I tell it. What I decide is truth. I determine my own morality. I set my own values and standards. Whatever and whoever 
came before me. Everybody say me. me. Is irrelevant. I don't care. That they're dead and gone. I'm what matters right now. My opinion and what I think with my present set of circumstances. The only thing that matters is me now. By the way, I owe nothing to anyone. I owe no one any debt of gratitude. And by the way, weaved into many of these is there is no God. It'd be good to just get get over it. There's no God. We are masters of our own destiny. And you know, most of those guys, most of those philosophers were hopelessly depressed. Maybe we can get back to that later. Let's get uh, get a happy note here. Let's talk about commemoration. Commemoration. Recall and show respect for someone or something. There is a practice in the church that we do on a monthly basis that identifies the act of commemoration or remembrance or observance. Can anybody tell me what it is that we do usually on a monthly basis here corporately? What is it that we do? Communion. Thank you. It would be absolutely silly on Communion Sunday for people to say, Orchard Supply Hardware, 80% off on Communion Sunday. That is absolutely silly. And Cole's an additional 30% if you peel here. Are you kidding me? That seems so, somebody say inappropriate. Luke 22, 18 through 20 in the King, New King James Version talks about communion. Luke 22, 18 through 20 says, For I say unto you, this is Jesus, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, he gave thanks and broke it, gave it to him saying, This is my body which is given for you. Somebody say sacrifice. sacrifice. Do this in remembrance or commemoration or observance of me. Do this. Likewise, he took the cup after supper, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant of my blood, which is shed for you. Now, in the book of, we won't turn there, but in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, in the Message Bible, somewhere in there it says, Each time you drink this cup, remember me. Somebody say, remember me. Now, friends, there's something about human nature that is so wrong. We have this innate ability in the fleshly now arena to remember what we're supposed to forget. Oh, we remember every detail how they did us wrong. We remember, well, when did this, they did me wrong. When did this happen? Oh, let's see. Yeah, that'll be 37 years ago. You remember that? Oh, yes, every detail of it. I remember what the color shoes she was wearing. I can remember what was playing on the radio. And yet, we have this uncanny propensity to, to forget what we're supposed to remember. It just, that's just human nature and God knows that that's why that he set certain things in motion so that we would do certain things to remind us about what is important and what is we are not of this world say I'm not of this world world. there are certain 
things that we do in order to remind ourselves of who we are in Christ, the price that was paid, what we can do in Christ. So, let's see if I can go. So, I think that, that point was well made. So, let's look at some things. We, we talked about, about communion and well said. Absolutely. We were reminded about the power in the blood. You know, I'm, I for one am glad that I'm reminded. And by the way, you don't have to just have communion at church. You could have communion at home. Pastor's encouraging you to do that. Judge yourself. Judge situations around you by the blood. And overcome some things. Amen. Look at some other ways that God would try to remind His people. He would have feast, feast of Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, Pentecost, trumpets, atonement, tabernacle. And so I'm going to just talk about tabernacles for a minute. <clears throat> what is tabernacles? It's tents. And so part of the Jewish, we'll call it, way of worship was to go camping in Jesus' name. <laughs> and so there, no matter where you are, you have to go into these booths. They call them booths, but they're really tents. And then during that seven days, come on, friends, seven days of being in that tent, they're not just barbecuing and hanging out and relaxing. But what they're doing is when your kids ask you, what does this mean? Why are we, why are we camping here today? That you're going to explain to them that with a mighty hand, God brought you out of Egypt. The foremost military force on the planet in the wor known world of that age, God delivered his people from the mightiest force on the face of the planet. And slaves walked out of that place. They plundered the Egyptians. Plundered them. Thank you very much. I'll take one of those. I'll take two of those. I'll take three of those. And it didn't stop there. There was not one weak or feeble among their tribes. Let that sink in for just a little bit. Not one... I call that a mighty hand. Not one weak or feeble. And when Pharaoh had second thoughts about it, God split the sea open. God's, God will split the sea open for you. So when they're camping, they're not just sitting around, oh, look at the stars, aren't they great? No, they're telling their kids, this is the kind of God that you serve. This is who you are. This is who we are. This is the kind of covenant that we have. This is our hope. God has a plan for you. You have a purpose. Not like they teach you in universities that you have no purpose and everything is futile. There's, you know, we'll get, may, may get into some of that later. But I would say that spending seven days in that tent with mama and matzah balls and papa <laughs> and belalaikas is going to do a good job of showing you what happened. But you know what? Even still... The human beings forgot. Now, so that I could use my time wisely, there is in the Bible example after example how that the Israelites got to places where they forgot and it wasn't even mentioned and they had no idea what God was doing for them or that there was a plan. And I want to turn to a portion of Scripture while you're going. You, you could turn there with me. Uh, which is uh, in the book of, gosh, where are we? 
Is it Nehemiah? Yes, Nehemiah chapter 8. And while you're turning to Nehemiah chapter 8, I want to just point out that God had uh, the Israelites in Joshua 4. You don't have to turn there. Go ahead and go to Nehemiah. But God had them take one stone for each tribe as they crossed the Jordan River and to make a monument there. So monument, somebody say monument. monument. So that... I love the way it says it in the, in the, uh, in the Message Bible. Well, actually, I have it in the New King James. That it says in verse 6 of Joshua 4, you don't have to turn, it says, that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in the time to come, saying, what do these stones mean? Don't leave it to the teacher at the school. I don't care if it's a Christian school. If you are a parent, if you are a grandparent, if you're just a nice person that people, that kids gravitate to you, don't take it for granted that somebody else is going to give the meaning of the thing. You take the responsibility of the revelation of what these things mean. Because without redemptive revelation of what these things mean, people perish, families are broken, kids suffer. I hope that wasn't too heavy. So we're over here in Nehemiah. There was a generation that forgot. Notice what it says here in Nehemiah chapter 8. Now all the people gathered together as one man in the open square that was in the front of the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men and women and all who could hear with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. Verse 3. Then he read from it in the open square that was in front of the water gate from morning until midday. That was a long gig. That wasn't 40 minutes or 30 minutes. Hurry up, hurry up. No. This was a people that had not heard these things. Somehow, they didn't get the memo. Uh They've been suffering. They're at the bottom of the scale. Are you listening to me? They're beat down. They're depressed. They're hurting. But... Hearing these words, somebody say, it sounds too good to be true. And if you skip, skip down to verse 5, And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. Now, look at the kind of reverence that they gave to the reading of the word. It says that when he opened it, all the people did what? I I really didn't have time to study it out, but who knows how many hundreds of years had gone by before these people had never heard. I mean, there's kids today that don't know what David and Goliath or Samson or things that we take for granted. Come on, friends. Stories in the Bible. Esther, Ruth, I mean, fill in the blank. They have... No, there are Americans today that have no concept of these basic little Bible stories. 
Well, let me tell you something. They're not little and they're not just stories. I'm so glad somebody challenged. I, I won't mention the company, but they were putting on display Bibles. and That's really good. But they had it in the fiction section. Come on, friends. They had the Bible. I'm glad they had it for sale. But they put it with the fiction. The Bible is a historic record. Plain and simple, it is. It is not fiction. It's truth. Wow. Okay, moving right along. Where'd that come from? So look at, so they're over there and they're bowing their head. Look, the people first stood up and Ezra blessed the Lord and the great God. Then all the people answered, Amen, Amen. When, while lifting up their hands and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Now let me go to skip to verse 8. The, yeah, so they read distinctly from the book and the law of God and they gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. Skip down to verse 9. The latter part, it says, For all the people wept while they heard the words of the law. One translation, I believe, says they were sobbing. Why? Why would an entire nation sob, cry, weep when hearing this? Because the cry of their heart was, Nobody told me. I have no idea. This is the kind of... You, you mean, we're kings and, we're kings and priests? I have no idea. I thought we're just slaves. I, I thought we're just the bottom scum of the earth. And here we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. That God works through us. That I have no idea that we, when we crossed, we were undefeated. We'd go through the land and God would go before us. I had no idea about the presence of God. No idea of our patriarchs or history. Now listen carefully, friend. I'm going to cross over into the natural. There is such a spirit of amnesia on our, in our society regarding history. Things that are plain and simple that you know is the truth. They say such things as Auschwitz never happened. Oh no, it didn't. Ha- the Holocaust did not happen. It was just somebody was. Are you serious? Are you kidding me? There are still people alive today that remember the horror right. of it. Yes, right. <sighs> history. Some, I'm, not, I'm not trying to glorify history, but I'm trying to say there are connections that we would do, do well to consider them and to remember them. Because there were oppressions and tyrannies and things that happened, as well as mighty victories that happened. So let's go back to this. So they're sobbing. I want to, I want to give a shout out to the teachers and, and others that work like in, in the youth and in the children's ministry. I want you to notice that there's a long list of priests that I can't even pronounce all their names in verse 4 of the same passage. And these people are all standing by his side. Mitathiah, Shema, Ananiah, Urijah, and all this stuff. Manasseh, all this stuff. All these people. What did they do? Well, I, I got this, this image of what was going on. It says in verse 7 that all these people, and a bunch of names I can't pronounce and you don't want me to try, help the people, they help the people to understand the law. 
And let me, let me tell you the picture that I got from them. It was like, it was like, it was originally read and the people are going, some things they're going like, huh? And so these people went throughout the crowd in, in my imagination. They went throughout the crowd explaining, okay, this means this. This means this. They brought meaning so that people can understand it. And when the people connected with revelation about what it was that they were hearing, of course, they began to weep. But then came the word of the Lord. This is a holy day. Weep not, neither mourn, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Eat the fat, drink the sweet. This is a holy, this is a holiday unto the Lord. But you see, don't allow the spirit of this world to separate the festivity from the revelation. Are you listening to me now? Do what you can do to find the meaning because there's purpose in the meaning. Now, let's see if I can go. So that was a, that was a generation that had completely lost their connection to their roots and didn't know anything about it. But let me let me talk to you real quickly. I have a few minutes. How many of you give me five? And I'm not going to do the Mario Murillo thing. Give me about seven minutes, five, seven minutes. The spirit of this world is a thief. And it's trying to steal truths from us. There are demon-inspired doctrines that are, that are deeply set in our educational systems. And in our, what, what I, I might as well say what I, what I said is, is in, in our art form, it's like people, it's like it's almost trying to be a part of the culture. Let's talk about what humanism is. Are you ready for this? Really layman terms, folks, because we're not here in a college class. But the, the, a layman's definition of humanism is a belief that human needs and values are more important than religious beliefs. Did you catch that? Human needs and values are more important than religious beliefs or the needs and designs of humans. As an example of humanism is the belief that a person creates their own set of ethics. Yikes. In other words, that kind of sounds like everybody did what was right in their own eyes. That was not good. Let's look at existentialism. And there's all kinds of different, there's different branches of existentialism. But one common thread that I try to find that would not make your head go tilt was this. That my head wouldn't go tilt. One of the earliest existential ideas to come about was the concept of subjective morality. Formulated in the 19th century by a philosopher that I'm not even going to say his name in church. There's two of them. And it says this theory rejected the long-held belief in a universal truth of right and wrong. According to the philosophers, personal experience, personal conviction, and the specific context of a situation are the only things that can define morality. Consequently, the definition of morality has to be left to each individual. Everybody makes up their own rules as you go. To existentialists, morality is an entirely subjective concept. No outside source to guide them. People must determine right from wrong based on personal experience, logic, and their own convictions. That sounds like trouble to me. And to add to the confusion, let me just throw the, 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 the third of the trio. Relativism is the doctrine that knowledge, truth, and morality exist in relation to culture, society, or historical context, 
and are not absolutes. Now, let me, let me spell this out for you. The Bible is full of absolutes. Full. Of, for instance, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. There is no shadow of turning with, with him. That's an absolute. How about this one? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth. Oh, there's no absolute truth. Jesus said, I, excuse me, excuse me. I am the truth. Amen. That's right. I am the life. And, by the way, no man comes to the Father but by me. That's what Jesus said. Oh, you're just, oh, you don't understand. You know, I kind of believe, you know, Buddha was good and, you know, the Gandhi dude and, you know, everybody just being nice says, excuse me, excuse me. No, man. See, these are not debatable points. I said it's not debatable. Someone may do nice humanistic things and meet human needs. I, li- I like it when you meet human needs. I like feeding the hungry. I like helping the homeless. But... If you don't do what Jesus said and do it in the power of the Spirit, but Lord, Lord, didn't we do and all didn't we do all these wonderful things? He says, Depart from me. I never knew you. My question to you is, do you know he that is the truth? Do you know him today? Hallelujah. Now, we were talking about relativism. Oh yeah. So everything is is no absolute. So let's let's talk about some other absolutes. Himself bare our infirmities and carried our sicknesses. You being dead unto sins. Dead to sins. Well, first of all, sin exists. Oh, no, we don't believe that sin exists. You know, it's all... No, friend, the violation of light is sin. And you need a Savior. And it says that we might live unto righteousness by whose stripes... You were healed. There was something legal that occurred on the cross that day. When those stripes came upon his back, and when he hung on that cross, that was a legal transaction that satisfied the judge of all the earth. And by the way, how's this? Swallow this one for you for a an absolute. There is a judge of all the earth. It is not subjective. I don't care about your Twitter war feed. I don't care what you think about this. Well, how many? Oh, we all like this person. We like what they said. Oh, we don't like that person. We're going to go over here. And the Twitter wars go back and forth. By the way, no respect for the position of authority. You know, even the archangel had respect unto the devil. He said he did not bring railing accusation in the book of Jude toward the devil towards Satan, but he said, the Lord rebuke you. What that sample in scripture shows you is that we are to be respectful of the office of authority. Even if the person or being in that office is not to our liking, you must transact things legally and properly by the way of the spirit. Just a thought. I wish I could go on. Oh, I'm going to give you some more absolutes before I let you go. The kingdom of heaven is the only kingdom that will last forever. Yeah. 
It will last forever. Now, you can agree or disagree about global warming or about the trade deficit or the G, what the, what the you know, gross national product is, blah, 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 what the figures are. You may not like the way that the guy wears his hairdo or the tone that he took, but at least we're not having a nuclear holocaust right now. I'm just saying. But therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom, that's Hebrews chapter 12 or 28, a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. The second point is that God is the supreme judge of all the earth. You already know that in Genesis 18.25, Abraham said this statement, Be it far from you, you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, Uh, so that the righteous should be as the wicked, far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Listen, I don't know, I don't know who did what on the tarmac, and I don't know who did what, and who the next Supreme Court dude is gonna be, and I don't know about we voted a certain way, and some, some Supreme Court of California upturned two elections by the people of California and he reversed the decision without recusing himself we're not going to go I'm just going to say that man he's going to stand before God one day can I dare say this we're all going to stand before God because he is the judge of all the earth he's the judge somebody say here comes the judge There is a reckoning. Look at this, Acts 17, 31. I love it in the Message Bible. These are absolutes. He has set a day. Wow. He has set a day when the entire human race will be judged and everything set right. He has already appointed, somebody say, the judge. Confirming him before everyone by raising him from the dead. So Jesus is that judge. And he doesn't need no Senate confirmation hearing. He doesn't need to answer a million questions from Morning Joe. I'm telling you right now, God is in control. All the cards will be on the table. It's appointed unto men once to die after this, the judgment. That's Hebrews 9.27. And then let me just say uh, that there is a great white throne. I saw a great white throne in Revelations 20, 11 through 13. Great white throne. He who sat upon it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. Now, let me pause for a moment. You need your name written in that book. I may not know somebody sitting through there. You may be hiding from me, but you hear me now and hear me good. You need your name written in the Lamb's book of life. You need it. You need your name. How do I do that? You receive Christ. Do it today. Do it today if you haven't done it. 
And then it says that, which was the book of life, and the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. And the sea gave up the dead that were in it. And the dead in Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one, according to his works. So let's, the last one I'm going to say so that your heart won't be troubled. This is the last absolute that God has established the times and the season of man, including the end of the age. So don't, don't freak out about global warming, global warming, and summit, summit, and Russia, and this and that. Friends, notice what it says in Acts chapter 1. I'll read from the NIV. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? That was a political question. He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by His own authority. So there are appointments, yes, in Israel, but there are appointments in the USA and all over where God has set appointments and they are, make no mistake about it, in His authority. But this is our direction for the things that we may not know. I'm going to skip down to that, to the Message Bible now in verse between 7 and 8. You don't get to know that particular time. Timing is the Father's business. What you'll get is the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be able to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all over Judea, Samaria, and even to the ends of the world. What's he saying? The most important thing that we should be focusing on was not necessarily who was, who was confirmed for the Supreme Court and, and who tweeted what. No, friend, come on, come on. We're supposed to be focused that we've got the Holy Ghost and we've got a job to do to reach people and to help them see what all these celebrations and these holy days are about. Take every opportunity you can get to bring meaning to your generation so that they can come to an understanding and they would see that Jesus actually loves them and has an everlasting love for them and He is in fact the Savior. Hallelujah. So, what are we going to say here? I'm going to close with Isaiah 46 just to celebrate God a little bit more and to just to, to go against all that horrible existential business and nihilism and all the other garbage that we were had to kind of talk about today. I'm sorry about that, but sometimes you have to see some things. Isaiah 46 is my closing scripture, verse 9 through 11, New King James. Are you ready for to close here? Somebody said, yes, please. Okay, fine. <laughs> Oh, you want more? Okay, I got like 30 more notes. <laughs> remember the former things remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, those of you, those of in generational amnesia that just refuse to look back and learn from history. From ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all of my pleasure. That sounds like an absolute to me. Hallelujah. I'm going to skip down and said this. My counsel from a far country, indeed, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also 
Do it. Let's give God thanks for the goodness of God in the land of the living. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, we thank you for helping us to have continual revelation. Open the eyes of our understanding. Many of us, not all of us, have been splashing around in the covenants of God. And and when we really need to really put concerted effort into understanding and have the eyes of our understanding enlightened. Enlighten our eyes to the wealth of Jesus Christ and how He indeed is the good shepherd and how He indeed carried our sicknesses and our pains and our diseases. That He is our great physician in Jesus' name. And I thank you, Father, that you're making it possible for our families to be restored. I speak a restorative word to our families. Lord, give us unction as parents, as grandparents, as brothers and sisters, to be able to convey the meaning of the word that you convey to us. In Jesus' mighty name. And we thank you for this great nation. Thy kingdom come. And thy will be done in Jesus' name. Can you say amen? Amen. 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 Give God a shout. Hallelujah. 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 Hallelujah.